and welcome to the Soul Anchor Podcast, where together we'll discover how to stay anchored in a storm and how to thrive. I've invited some friends that I deeply admire and whose authentic stories will encourage you to embrace hope when the waves crash. These are friends who have navigated some fairly deep waters of unthinkable circumstances and they've arrived back on shore resilient and strong. I'm your host, Cynthia Cavanaugh, and I'm so glad you're here. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Soul Anchor Podcast. And today we have a very special guest with us. Her name is Rhonda Stop. Is that right, Rhonda? Stoppy. Stoppy. I was almost debating whether it was Rhonda Stop and I could make a little play on words or Stoppy. <laughs> so glad to have Rhonda here today. And again, we're going to be talking about how do we stay anchored in a storm? And we're going to hear a little bit of Rhonda's story. But let me tell you a little bit about her. She is an author, she's a speaker, and she's dedicated to helping women live life with no regrets. I love that. I've read about her on the internet, and she's the no regrets woman. That's a great title to have. She has over 30 years experience as a mom, a mentor. She's married to a pastor. And Rhonda's wisdom and experience, she hopes to help you discover significance in God and his purpose for your life. She loves helping women connect biblical principles to everyday decisions. How about developing a loving marriage that others dream about? And her last two books that were released in 2018 address that, Real Life Romance and The Marriage Mentor. And Maybe we'll hear a little bit about those. She also loves to influence the next generation by raising children with integrity. She has four children, two girls and two boys who are grown. And she also has 13 grandbabies all the way down and lots of babies. And she just told me that she has nine birthdays of her grandchildren in the next few weeks. Oh my goodness. I have three in the span of a time. I can't imagine having nine. It's like Christmas all over again. <laughs> and this is the one thing that I love about her bio too. This is where my heart resonates. And you've heard me talk about this as well. She loves to leave a legacy of a life well-lived with no regrets. And I think Rhonda will have some future conversations on that very topic, leaving a legacy, because as you've heard me say, I say we have to choose what kind of legacy we're going to live. We have to be intentional about it because we will leave a legacy, but we have a choice on what kind of legacy we're going to leave. So welcome, Rhonda. So nice to have you. Thank you. It's good to be with you today. Well, thanks. I'm so glad for we could make the time to do this. So we're going to talk about trials and staying anchored and trials in our lives don't take God by surprise. Like everything that's happening right now in our world, we've had, I don't know about you, Rhonda, I think your state has had instituted some more lockdowns recently and we have too. And, you know, none of this takes God by surprise. And he uses this to mold us, to shape us, to refine us. And I know we've heard that. And sometimes we go, no, but I don't want to be refined. <laughs> Why do I have to be refined? But it builds our character. It builds and helps to institute what God wants to do in preparing us for ministry. So you talk a lot about breaking free from regrets that hold us back, building a life without regrets. So share with us a little bit, how has God used trials in your life to prepare you for being his servant, ministering to others? 
First of all, I think when people hear, oh, we're going to talk about trials, oh, it's going to be one of those bummer shows about let God make you be a job and it's all going to work out. And people are so tired of hearing that because 2020 has been, let's face it, 2020. And we're weary of even the status quo answer for God causes all things to work together for good. And, And the truth of it is we don't know what God is doing right now in history. We don't know. And we have a tendency to try to figure it out. In fact, I'm a pastor's wife, you're a pastor's wife, and you know that people, when they come, when they're in the middle of a trial, they want you to give them the answer. Why is this happening to me? Why me, God? Why me? And I remember being in that situation and saying, why, God, why? On many occasions. I mean, I've been married 39 years and To be honest, when I married my husband, I married, uh, he's a pastor now. He was in youth ministry for 18 years. He's been a senior pastor for 20. Yeah, I'm old. I'm going to be 60 (laughs) in May. I'm trying to try those words on for size. And in those years, I can look back on my life. And when I married my husband, I was so self-absorbed. My mentality was, it's his job to make me happy. Uh, You know, if you've watched any Cinderella story, any happily ever after fairy tales that we watch, we believe that it's my husband's job to be my happily ever after. And honestly, I have a book out called, If My Husband Would Change, I'd Be Happy, and Other Myths Wives Believe. And what I learned as a young bride was that my husband could not be the source of my happiness. And the more that he didn't measure up to my expectations, the more there was a tiny little resentment stirring in my heart. And I come from a long line of broken marriages. And those marriages unraveled around me and my family over little things like resentment that turned to bitterness. It was that chiseling away at the integrity of the relationship. And I knew that was a red flag for me, that I was not the wife I meant to be. And I knew I needed help. And there was a day when I was working full-time. We lived in the San Francisco Bay Area. It was super expensive to buy houses there. We had bought a house, lived in it to flip it. In fact, we flipped several houses. Back then, people thought we were crazy. Now, I think we'd have a show. (laughs) But we... I came home from work. Steve was in construction. It was a rainy day. So he was home and there was peanut butter toast crumbs all over the counter in the kitchen. And I was like, and I started crying and overwhelmed. And he comes in and he's like, what? Thinking, you know, somebody died. And I'm like, the the crumbs on the counter, the, the peanut butter toast crumbs. And he's like, I don't understand why you're so upset. Well, anybody who knows what I'm feeling right then, it's the assigning wrong motives to someone's actions. Like those actions meant you don't care what I do all day. You don't care how hard I work and then come home and keep this house clean. And those toast crumbs on the counter show me you don't care about how hard I'm working. Well, in Steve's young mind, he was doing it on the counter so he wouldn't dirty a plate. And so in his mind, he was saving me from having to wash a plate. But those unmet expectations can chisel away at the fiber of our marriages. Now, I know some of you are listening and going, you don't understand. If I I only had to be upset about my husband's peanut butter toast, I'd be happy. But my husband is addicted to pornography or he's addicted to video games or he won't talk to me or he is harsh or fill in the blank. And honestly, in 30 years of ministry, my husband and I do biblical marriage counseling and I've heard all of those stories and I understand the heartache and the heartbreak. But the reality is as those painful circumstances enter our life, it gives us an opportunity to realize that my only sense of worth and satisfaction is going to come in not being loved well by my spouse, but in being loved well by my creator. 
And I knew I needed help. I didn't understand that. But I looked around at mentors in my church, women who had amazing marriages, women who were genuine and real. They didn't pretend to be something they were not. And I just made friends with those ladies. I was like, I know I'm not the wife I need to be. I don't know how to do it, but I'm going to hang out with these ladies. And I always hashtag old ladies know stuff because honestly, you live your life and you look back and you either look back at those things you didn't do the way you wish and you get stuck in your regret or you look at it and you lay it before the foot of the cross. You cast all your cares on him. You ask God to forgive you of those regretful ways that you have treated your spouse, that you have responded to life's trials. And then you let God mold your character so that you can come alongside of someone younger than you, someone maybe who's a peer that is going through the same thing. And, you know, the Bible talks about we comfort those with the comfort that we ourselves have been comforted. Yeah. That's the value of our trials is it makes us, it makes our testimony valuable when we come to someone and we say, I was that wife. I remember being that wife and knowing I didn't want to be her, but I didn't know how to change. And that's where the hope comes is knowing that in Christ, and I'm assuming your listeners are believers, but if you're not, please message me through my website, noregretswoman.com. And I would gladly send you an article and a video on how to have a relationship with Christ because God created us to find our worth and our value in his love for us. In fact, the Bible says God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the evidence of God's love for us. He purchased us for his treasure. Yeah. When we find our worth in that, we can have no regrets and we can live in a way that is above our trials, even when they're breaking our hearts. That's so good. And especially speaking to the women who really have had some horrific, tragic episodes and events in their marriage and they're working to get through that with no regrets. I mean, you brought, you made a good point about the peanut butter crumbs too, and the comparison be, you know, between, okay, I'm not experiencing that. How would you like to do this? But what I've found and I've heard, and you've probably heard this too, you know, it's a million little things that can turn into the big snowball of resentment towards anyone, not just our spouse, right? If we dwell on that. And I think you're saying a lot of truth here in the fact that if we're not secure in our identity in Christ, no one can fill that place for us, not a human being on the planet. And my listeners have heard my own struggle with my relationship with my mom and, you know, not having approval and acceptance from her and some other things. And so it doesn't really matter who or what that relationship is. If, if we're not secure in Christ and know that we're going to be well loved by him, we're going to be looking for those million little things. And then that creates the resentment. We will live like with regrets. And so I love the principles that you have there. So uh, this story that you shared about you and your husband in the beginning, how did you guys like move past that? Like, what can you encourage a woman, especially who's really in a hard place in a hard marriage? You say you've written three books on marriage actually here. And what one thing could you encourage women who are listening today? My heart is with you. You're not alone. Women that ache over what they had hoped their marriage would be can get stuck there, can resent God that he didn't give them a better husband. But when you look around at marriages that are doing it in a way that you wish it was yours, just know this. It's not a great marriage because they got a good one. It's a great marriage because they have asked God to love their spouse through them. Jesus said the priority of life in Mark chapter 12 is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's our whole being. The second commandment is to love our neighbor as ourselves. 
We can't love our spouse with God loving us with his selfless love until we obey the first commandment, which is to fall in love with God. I grew up in the church. I went to Christian schools. If you would have asked me if I love God, I would have said, absolutely. But every once in a while, I would meet someone who was in love with God. And it would bother me because I knew my love for God wasn't like that. And when I got married and I was starting to ponder the resentments over the things that my husband was not measuring up to my expectations, you know, the Bible warns that a root of bitterness defiles many. It defiles your marriage. It defiles you. You can't even pursue loving God with all your heart if you're holding on to those secret sins. And we may become angry at our spouse for, you know, let's say my husband did not have this, but I know a lot of women deal with this. He's addicted to porn. In my book, Real Life Romance, there's a story of Chuck and Angie, and she married Chuck. They were both virgins. After they were married, she realized Chuck really didn't want her in the marriage bed like she had expected. And of course, any millennial wife understands she stumbled across on the internet. He was looking at pornography. She approached him. He cried, asked forgiveness. He's a sweet, godly man, this young man. But of course, if you know anything about that addiction, he couldn't put it away. And it brought their marriage through a very rough season. And then Angie says this, when I finally realized that my husband's addiction to pornography was just as sinful as my addiction to resent him was when I was able to repent and ask God to forgive me for my sin and then pray powerfully for him to be convicted of his. It says in James, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous one accomplishes much. Righteous, number one, by having a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ, but number two, regularly asking God to examine your heart, search me and you know, see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I can't pray powerfully for God to do a work in my spouse. I can't pray powerfully for God to draw my children to Christ or to walk in obedience to him if I am holding on to the sin of resentment, which will turn to bitterness, which will defile my relationship with the Lord and defile my household. So how? I look to these women and these women taught me fall in love with God. How? Through the word. Right. They invited me to Bible studies that were preset Bible studies. It was five hours of homework a week. I was like, girls, I can't do five hours of homework. I'm busy. And they were like, you need to do this if this is what you really want. And as I met with those women every week, we went through the book of Philippians was my first study that I did with them. In fact, I love Philippians so much. I have most of the book memorized because I, and I don't get out of bed every morning until I go over the chapters of Philippians that I have and it's hidden right. in my heart. Love that. These women taught me how to fall in love with God. How do you fall in love with someone? You know, their character, you learn, you can trust them. You learn how much they love you. How do we know that about God? If we're not spending time in the word, then we're just assigning character qualities to God that may truly not be his. In fact, I can't remember where it's at in the Bible. It's in the Old Testament where God says, you thought I was all together like you. Basically, you're trying to assign your character qualities to me or your dad's qualities, whether your dad was a sugar daddy and spoiled you rotten or whether he was a dad that was harsh. That's not who God is get in the word, ask him, as I read this, open my eyes that I might see wondrous things in your law and cause me to fall in love with you so that I can love others with your selfless love. That's the secret. That's truly the key. Yes. My listeners know, the regular listeners know I'm a broken record. You know, the only way to stay anchored in a storm, the only way to secure your identity, the only way to make it this trial, the only way to leave a legacy is to fall in love with God's word. That's where you're going to see him. Mm -hmm. And if we want to know who he is and his character, we have to be intentional about it. And 
you know, more than just the, I call it the drive through devotions and devotions are good. And sometimes, you know, there's seasons in life where that's what we can handle, but we need to get in there and dig around. And it's interesting that you bring up the precept study that with Kay Arthur, because my first precept study doing the way that she taught us to study the word was the study marriage without regret. And then we did Philippians after that, which I just loved. And then I became a precept leader in my church as well. And so that was a really good way to dig in the word and just get in there and understand who God is. And I mean, that's the only way to do it. I mean, it's a simple way. If we want to be obedient, we want to learn, we want to know how to be shaped by those trials. And that's what we need to do is just to continue to be in God's word and soak in it. So Rhonda, you know, we're in a really tough time right now. I mean, as you've already mentioned, we all know we don't have to even breathe the word 2020. And I, <laughs> I'm not so sure 2021 is going to be a whole lot different. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe the last half of the year, I'm just bracing myself. So, you know, it seems like as I've been sharing and talking with women and ministering with other women, everything is heightened. So like whatever issues you had before, whatever you were struggling with before, you just take it up another notch, right? And adding the stress of the outside of what's happening in the world and just the darkness and it feels hopeless. We know it's not hopeless. We know God has a purpose and plan and everything, but you add in the pandemic to everything else. And what word of encouragement or What would you say to women that we really need to focus on right now so that we can live without regrets in this time? So we can look back five years from now and say, yeah, 2020 and 2021 was horrible. They were hard years, but this is what got me through. So including the word of God, of course, but what one thing do you think we should really be focusing on right now so that we can come through this well? The main thing especially for those that have children still in the home or grandchildren or even people that you minister to is your trial may not be all about you. The trial that you're walking through may be to verify your testimony. I write about a mom in my book, Moms Raising Sons to Be Men, who was married to a man who was harsh. He wasn't abusive. He just was harsh with her and he was harsh with the kids. And another woman would have left, but she stayed. And she prayed for God to love her husband through her. She had to come to that point. It wasn't like she just went, oh, that's going to be fine. After wrestling and the lack of peace in the home and the resentment and how it was affecting the way she was living, even in front of her kids, the Holy Spirit convicted her and she repented of that. And as she began to ask God to change her husband, do you know that God never changed her husband? but God changed her. And her kids grew up watching her live her testimony before then. All of her kids have grown up and follow Christ. They've married godly spouses. They're raising children to love the Lord. And she told me this, God took Joseph out of his safe little bubble when he was Jacob's son with all those sons of Israel. And he took him at 17 years old to a difficult season of life for 17 years. But he was doing that to mold him to be the second in command of Egypt in God's timing. She said, how can I not know that the trial that I was enduring while my kids were watching is what God was using to equip them to lead their families and to be the next generation of godly leaders in this generation? She said, if I knew and I believe that God used that season to equip my family to follow Christ, listen to this lady. She said, I would live through it all again. That makes me cry. 
It makes me cry because I know women are listening right now that are wishing their life was different. But if you can just hold on to, out of the abundance of the heart, your mouth speaks. As we are living in this season, this quote, unprecedented time, can we please go back to precedented times? As we get bumped, the Holy Spirit shows us what's really inside of us. That's right. There was a season, a difficult season in my life when my son we had moved to Austin, Texas. We planted a church. We were in ministry. We had 200 teenagers in our house every Wednesday night, trash in our house, but they were coming to Jesus. And while that was going on, my six-year-old son was having terrible epileptic seizures. And they had to be controlled with medication that made him so stoned that he was on special ed at school. He didn't want to play sports. He didn't want to do anything but play his guitar and play with his Legos. We had band practice in our home for worship because we met in a school at the time. So Brandon would sit behind all the different musicians and he just became a musician as he absorbed all of that. But I remember one day he had a terrible seizure and I went in my room and I wept before the Lord and I said, I quit. I'm done. We are serving you. We're using our home to serve you. Kids are coming to Christ and you can't heal my boy of these seizures. I am done. And, you know, when we get squeezed, what comes out of us is what I had was this propensity to a prosperity doctrine. If I'm serving God, he's going to make everything perfect. He's going to bless everything in my life. The reality is if you read scripture and you know God's character, that's not how he works among his servants. He refines us with fire. As I was praying and crying, the scripture from Seth Thessalonians that said, in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Impressed on my heart, that scripture. And I cried and I said, no. I cannot say thank you for this. There's nothing I can think of, but I will say thank you with my lips if you change my heart. And I began thanking the Lord for my son's seizures. And it wasn't a heartfelt thank you. As time went on, Steve and I noticed that Brandon was absorbing all of this music. And I was a cheerleading coach. And if you live in Texas, you understand cheerleading. It's kind of its own cult. (laughs) I would have had my kids in every sport. I would have pushed Brandon to be an athlete. He was very athletic before he started taking all this medication and I would have ruined him. I would have raised an arrogant little athlete that would have done things for his own self-promotion. But God got me out of the way. The trial wasn't about me. It was about Brandon. And God raised up in Brandon, not someone where I would hear the crowd glory in my son's accomplishments. He raised up Brandon to be a worship pastor. And now God uses my boy to bring the crowd to glory in his son's accomplishments through worship. But in the middle of the trial, it doesn't make sense. But if you hold on to the resentment, if you quit because God's not helping when you think he should help, you will have regrets. But if you make friends with old ladies who have stories like that one, you'll see the hand of the character of God and know you can trust him. His ways are above ours. His thoughts are above ours as high as the heavens are above the earth. But if we fall in love with him, and who he is as he reveals his character in scripture, we will learn to trust him and just keep our eyes on him, even when the trial is so incredibly disappointing or painful. And I feel like that's where we are in 2020. Yeah, well, and you you just hit the nail on the head. This whole legacy piece has to do with this because you're right. This trial, whatever we're walking through, in addition to the 2020 issues, a pandemic, the loss of so much in so many ways, isn't about us. You're right. It's for future generations. <laughs> it's part of our testimony. Mm-hmm. It's part of how God is going to help our future children and grandchildren. And, you know, my grandparents, 
my mother came to the U.S. when she was 12. They lived, you know, it's enough to fill a book of the things that they had to live through. Refugee camp, starvation, you know, family members being taken. It's just horrific things, but all trusting God along the way. And my hardest times in life, when I think about what I have to walk through, I remember my, it makes me cry, Rhonda. I remember my grandparents. I remember that if God would give them the grace and the faithfulness and the mercy to walk through what they walked through, well, I never faced anything close to that then I know that he's going to help me. So they're gone. They're, you know, they're cheering me on from heaven, but I have that legacy of them. And that's what we're doing in the midst of this. When we're gone and having, you know, our grandchildren and say, yes. And, and I watched my grandparents, I watched my parents walk through and live through these trials. I watched how they handled the pandemic, right? In history. And mm -hmm. that is what's going to draw them closer to God and make their faith. It's the foundation we provide for future generations. You know, I love that you talked about the testing too, because I was just studying in Psalm 66 last week where it talks about how God has tested us. He's tried us as silver. You've laid a crushing burden on our backs. And then it goes on to say, yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. We feel crushed. So that word testing, it actually means, you know, to test metals by melting, which we've probably heard analogies about that. And so I got to thinking, like, it's okay to have a meltdown during this time. You know, not a pity party meltdown, <laughs> but a meltdown that God is pushing us, refining us. He's testing us because he's examining and scrutinizing and he's going to bring us out of this, right? Whatever timing that is, but what we, we can have a meltdown. He's melting us down for a reason. It's going to be good and it's going to have fruit and it's going to be a testimony to our neighbors and our friends and our families and an opportunity for people to, for us to share the hope of the faith that's within us. And so I love that you brought that part out. And I think that's really the key is what we're walking through now and how we're handling. People are watching. They might not be looking inside our homes with binoculars or with a magnifying glass, but they are seeing how we react to what's put in front of us, how we react to what we're having to experience. And so I think that is so key. It verifies our testimony. In my book, Real Life Romance, it's such a sweet book full of love stories. Each story stands alone. It's just God's sovereignty and knitting two hearts and lives together. It's like chicken soup for your soul, but romance style. My daughter Meredith was watching when all that was going on with Brandon. And Meredith grew up, went to the master's university, met her husband, Jake there. She had a little girl named Karis, and then she had an ectopic pregnancy, and then she lost a baby. And then finally she got pregnant and she had little Ivy. And we were all celebrating. We were so happy that Ivy was born. And I'm going to read a little bit from Real Life Romance. It said Meredith had only gotten a glimpse of Ivy as she was laid on her chest the moment after she was born. Jake had stopped us when we walked in and said something is wrong with Ivy. Mm -hmm. As the doctors prodded her and poked, I walked over and just sang Jesus loves me to Ivy. The next few hours were filled with specialists and doctors assessing Ivy's condition. And it goes on to talk about Ivy had something called Golden Har Syndrome. And while Meredith and Jake were enduring this unexpected situation that their daughter had facial cranial deformities, I watched them press into their relationship with Christ. This happened on the heels of Jake's brother dying in a motorcycle accident. He was going to seminary while they were living on campus at the master's university in a guy's dorm. He was an RD while he was going to seminary. 
And all of those seminary students and all of those guys in the guy's dorm observed Meredith and Jake as they brought home a child that had to have surgeries and just so much that was on their plate with this child with special needs. And thinking back, what if I had walked away from God when he didn't measure up? What if when Brandon didn't get healed, when I thought God should have healed him, my daughter Meredith, who was in junior high at the time, what if she had watched her mother get mad at God and walk away? At some point, I would have repented and come back. And I would have regretted that I didn't keep trusting the Lord. But what would have been the cost of Meredith watching me when that fire was to refine me, to cause me to keep trusting him no matter what? Meredith learned from that. Meredith, God knew Meredith was a decade, two decades later, going to walk through her own trial as a mother and how to trust God, even when it didn't make sense. Ivy just turned six years old. She's absolutely adorable. She's had five major surgeries and you can pray for sweet little Ivy. She'll have more, but amazing stories that come out of us just saying, if God needs to validate my testimony through my trial, who am I to get mad at him, to pull back from him and not trust him? There's another love story in the book, in my book, Real Life Romance at the very end. It's of the apostle Peter and his wife. The Apostle Peter, who rejected, I mean, who, who denied Christ in fear, once, you know, I love too, if you're, if you're dealing with a prodigal, know this, Jesus told him, you're going to deny me. But Jesus didn't step in and say, but I'm not going to let that happen. He said, but I have prayed right. for you. If you have a prodigal in your life, follow Jesus' example and pray for that prodigal. Because he told Peter, when you return to me, and when those prodigals come back, they come back in power. They come back with humility and God lifts up those humiliated, humble people to do great things for the kingdom. And at the end of Peter's life, Eusebius records that he and his wife had been arrested and he was going to be put to death. If he would just recant, he could have denied Christ in that moment and he wouldn't have been put to death. But before they killed him, they had his wife walk past him to her death. And he could have said, I made it up. Jesus didn't die. He didn't resurrect. It's all a farce don't kill my wife. But instead, Eusebius records that as she walked past her husband, he shouted out to her, oh, thou remember the Lord. Mm -hmm. He encouraged her, remember Jesus. In a moment, we'll be there together with him. And she died. She was crucified. And then we know historically that Peter was crucified upside down. That what gave that man that courage was the spirit of the most high God indwelling him. And it validated his testimony. The people who put him to death, Anyone who knows the story of any of the apostles who died for their faith, it validates their testimony that Jesus really did rise from the dead. And he really is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Yes. So our trial so often, it is to refine us, but it's so often to leave a legacy, to remind others that God is definitely indwelling us and giving us the strength and the courage to trust him, even when life doesn't make sense. That's right. Amen. Such good truth. Oh, we could talk about this all day. <laughs> such, such good. And I just love the way that you just weave the word of God through all your sharing and your stories. And I hope as you're listening to this, that you know that that's what happens when we know God's character and in the word, it just comes out. I don't know how else to say that. But tell us a little, a fun fact about you, Rhonda, as we start to wind down here. Okay, as we start to wind down, let me just encourage your listeners. You may be thinking of someone that needs to hear this. Share it. Share it on your social media. 
You don't know the people that are struggling quietly, are depressed, are discouraged, are distraught, are, are wanting to give up on trusting God in the midst of this pandemic or any situation that they may be facing in their life, even a difficult marriage. Share this interview in your social media. Put a note, share it in a private message to someone that you think needs to hear it. A fun story. We lived in the Bay Area. I was telling you we were flipping houses. My husband's always had a desire to be debt-free and live in the country. And I'm like, yeah, baby, charge it, whatever. That sounds great. And so when we finally got to a place, we were flipping houses where we had enough equity in our home. My husband found an 80-acre ranch up in the middle of nowhere in the mountains. And he took me to see it. It was covered with snow. There was a little one-bedroom house on it. It was beautiful. And I knew I was holding Steve's dream in the palm of my hand. And if I said no, he wouldn't have done it. So I said, okay, we sold our house. And then when we came up to the house that we had bought, the snow had melted and it was a shack. All the cute frosting was gone and we bought a shack. It was horrible. And there was one bedroom. We had two kids at the time. They shared the bunk beds in the one bedroom and we had no power. I figure you just call the power company and they plug you in. We lived on a generator two and a half years on a generator in the eighties when I used hot rollers and curlers for my hair. Oh my goodness. We survived on a generator and I lived 45 minutes from the nearest town. And in the middle of that, God surprised us with a pregnancy and I wept. Steve said, it'll be fun. And I'm like, I want to move back to town. It'll be fun if I live in town. I slept on a sofa bed for the entire pregnancy. And Steve was adding onto the house. He was in construction. So he was building onto the house and adding he would commute to work though, five in the morning till seven at night. He was gone and I was up here by myself. Oh my goodness. And I cried lots of tears. You are a brave heart. So I spent some long, lonely days up here with little ones. I was plagued with postpartum after that child was born. It was a rough season, but God used that season to refine me with his fire to take away my entitlement and my belief that God owed me a happy life. And God provided so that 10 years later, a little church in a small town, 22 miles away from where we live down the backside of the mountain, a little church invited Steve to be their senior pastor. They had a small budget. And because we had no mortgage payment, because we were debt free, Steve could take that job. We've been pastoring at that church for 20 years now. I got to tell you, looking back, that whole story began 30 years ago. And if you make friends with old ladies, they got stories and you see the hand of God that he was not only refining us for ministry, but he was making us let go of material things. Steve added onto our house. It's a great house now. It almost burned down in the California fires. I was just telling you earlier, the fires came right up to our house. The black ash is surrounding our entire home and God spared our house. But God used that sleeping on the sofa bed, postpartum, living on a generator, not only to refine me to be a pastor's wife and someone who was not super prideful and arrogant, but someone who was debt-free so we could serve God without the cares of the mortgage payment and the car payment and the house and all that stuff. So no regrets. (laughs) No regrets. That's a great story. It's almost like little house on the prairie out there, you know, except for the generator, right? They didn't have a generator, but (laughs) wow. You Yeah, you really get refined in a situation like that. Well, what a brave heart you are. Well, where can people find you, Rhonda? You can go to my website, noregretswoman.com, and there are all kinds of free resources there. 
Steve and I wrote the book, The Marriage Mentor, together, and there are free videos that go along with each chapter because we always meet a wife that says, my husband won't read the book, which if you do read the book, there's little gray boxes. All the husband has to read is the little gray boxes. Uh, but if you won't even do that, you can watch the videos together. And Steve is just super organic. It's in our living room, just chatting about each chapter. What we do when we can get a couple to come into our office for biblical marriage counseling, we tried to kind of reenact that on those videos. They're free. Also, all my books, you can find them all there. There's, I have written six books and I think you're going to do a giveaway. So since we talked so much about real life romance, let's give away a copy of real life romance. It's great for someone who's married, someone who's single. It's great for your tween or teen or young adult to read. Well, thank you so much, Rhonda, for joining us on the Soul Anchor podcast. You have some great stories and just thank you for your faithfulness and your testimony I know is going to encourage so many that listen. And so thanks for taking some time and hanging out with me today. My absolute pleasure. And I'm going to be praying that the Lord does exceedingly abundantly above all we can even ask or think to ask him to do through this conversation. Well, thank you. Hey, one more thing before we sign off. Would you pray for our listeners? I would just love it if you would lead us in prayer. I would love to. Father, you know our hearts and you ordain our steps. You chart the path ahead of us and you are our rear guard. You place the, your hand of blessing upon our heads. Father, for the women and maybe men, whoever is listening to this podcast today, Father God, I ask that you would give them courage to trust you. I would ask, Father, that you would give me and Cynthia courage to trust you. Father, to take our eyes off of the cares of this life and to know that you are using our trials to validate our testimony. I pray, Father, that in everything we would give thanks, for this is your will concerning us, that our soul would be anchored in you by the power of the word of God dwelling in us richly. Father, we ask that you would bring to Christ anyone who hears this that does not know you. And Father, just send this audio to wherever you would have it go for your kingdom and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks so much for joining me today on the Soul Anchor Podcast. Grab a friend and join our community at thesoulanchor.com. You'll receive resources from time to time to help you through your personal storm. If you've been encouraged today, would you please consider leaving a review, subscribing, or sharing this podcast? I would ever be so grateful. Until next time, remember, you're not alone. God is for you, and you will get through this. Oh,